reminder that uh, sometimes we don't always understand why things happen here, uh, but one day we'll know more about it. We may not know all about it. The Lord may not reveal everything, but uh, I, I think we will have a better understanding better by and by, and uh, I'm thankful for that truth. Mark chapter 2 is where we are today, as, as I mentioned, and what we're doing here is we're going through the, uh, the life of Christ as recorded in the gospel of Mark, and uh, we have already made our way through the very first chapter of Mark, so we're a 16th of the way through the series. Uh, do you feel good, like we've accomplished much? Uh, there's still a long way to go, I realize, uh, but I am thankful we are done with the first chapter. Um, the last time we, uh, we left it, uh, the, uh, in chapter 1, as, as chapter 1 comes to a close, if you remember, Jesus heals the leper, and uh, the leper is so excited about the fact that he was cleansed that uh, he went and told everybody about it. And the Bible says in, in verse 45, the last verse of chapter 1, it says, He began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. And uh, that was something that Jesus did not want him to do uh, because Jesus wanted to still do some other works there. But uh, this created a, a, a little more publicity than he was wanting. And so as a result, and at the end of verse number 45, it says, uh, he had to go out in the desert places, and, uh, and as he was kind of hiding out in those desert places, they came to him from every quarter. Well, verse number 1 of chapter 2 says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. So after a little while, when everything kind of cooled off and settled down a little bit, then, uh, <clears throat> then he went back into Capernaum. And uh, now, early on in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus, we find that he attracted quite a crowd who wanted to see him perform another miracle. Uh, they they kind of wanted, it was almost like he was a circus act, so to speak. And, and I don't mean that to be a blasphemous, you know, uh, should you really call Jesus a circus act? No, I, 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 I don't want to call him that, but that's what they, um, they kind of thought he was, because he was doing all these neat tricks and these neat magic tricks. And so, hey, would you do another miracle for us? And so that's what the, uh, the crowd was all gathered around to see. Now, as we read through this uh, particular account already as in our scripture reading, uh, this is obviously a very familiar passage in the book of Mark. And, and uh, both, by the way, or, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this particular uh, event that took place. And, uh, and we could take time today as we study this passage to focus on so many different aspects of this powerful story. We could, we could focus on that man who had the palsy, whose life was completely transformed in a matter of moments. And, and we'll allude to a little bit of that. And we, we could instead zero in on the four friends who went to great lengths to bring this man to Jesus. And that's certainly a worthy study and a worthy message. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll allude to it a little bit. We could spend our time thinking about the spiritually blind scribes who were sitting with a critical eye towards our Savior. And, and uh, we could do all of those things, and, and those are worthy sermons for sure. But, but today as we continue our journey through the life of the serving Savior, we're going to actually spotlight the main character. And the main character in this particular uh, record and event is the Lord Jesus himself. And uh, today we're going to spotlight him and see what we can learn about him from this dramatic day of commotion in Capernaum. 
Uh, first of all, in this passage, we learn a couple things. We learn, first of all, about his presence. We learn about his presence. And in verse number one, it says this. And again, he entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. That was a pretty miraculous thing. Now, whose house was Jesus in? Uh, we don't exactly have, uh, Mark doesn't tell us exactly whose house it is, but we can gather that it was probably, uh, most likely it was Peter's house, because in chapter 1, when Jesus was in a house, he was in uh, Simon Peter's house, uh, Andrew's, Simon and Andrew's house, uh, remember, and that's where Jesus healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, and so when Mark says in chapter 2, verse 1, that he was in the house, he was most likely in that same home that he healed uh, mother-in-law uh, a few days ago. And so he was there in that house. He was present. A Lewis, or Lois Blanchard Eads wrote a poem about Jesus coming to your house. And I'd like to take a moment and read that poem at this time. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wondered what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and, and all the food you'd serve him would be, I'm sure, the very best. And you would keep assuring him that you're glad to have him there and that serving him in your home is joy beyond compare. But I wonder when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched and welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and, and, and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard? And wish you hadn't uttered that last loud, hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in or uh, would you maybe just rush about? And I wonder, if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you always say? And would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read? And let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go, or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends, or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit finally ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on, or would you sigh with great relief when he at last was gone? Whew. He's out of here finally. Oh, it might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you. Very thought-provoking poem, to be sure. 
But my friend, if you are a believer here this morning, I want to remind all of us that Jesus, at the moment of your salvation, came inside to dwell within you. And he, right now, is residing in your heart and in mine. You see, what a wonderful privilege it is to know that as a believer, I am in Christ, and then Christ is also in me. Remember, as we celebrate Christmas, we're so thankful for uh, the name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. But then as a believer in Christ, the moment of my salvation, it, it, now, now it's, not, it's not just God with us, it's now God in us. That's pretty awesome. Paul said this in Colossians 1.27, and I have the verse on the screen here. It says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, you, you say, well, hey, I, I, I've been around the Bible. I've been, uh, isn't the Holy Spirit, doesn't He indwell us? Absolutely, He does. But, but there's also passages that say that Christ also dwells within us. And so Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Galatians 2.20, most of us are familiar with this verse as well. Paul wrote this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But listen to this, Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so right now, uh, my friend, if you are a believer today, Jesus is dwelling and living inside of you. He is present in me, and if you're a believer, he is present in you. And so the question remains is, how comfortable is he dwelling in you? One of Paul's prayers for the uh, church at Ephesus, and we studied this a couple weeks a few Wednesday nights ago, was that uh, the Lord would be comfortable living and dwelling within us. It's kind of like when you go home today after church, you're probably going to, at least I'm probably going to kick off my shoes, uh, loosen the tie, and, and kick back and relax a little bit. And why? Because I'm comfortable in my home. There's not, a, there's not a room that I don't feel comfortable going into, except for maybe the boys' room because it's not always the cleanest. And it doesn't always smell the nicest and the prettiest either. Um, but I'm comfortable and I feel like I can go to every uh, room in my home. I can open any closet. I can open any drawer because I live there and it's my home. And if I go over to your house today after church, I don't feel comfortable to open every door and to open every drawer. I'm not going to do that. It's, it's not my home. But listen, the Lord is in residing in you have you given him access to every room of your life have you opened every nook and cranny and said lord you can have it all you have complete access this is your home now i want you to make yourself at home have we done that or are there areas where you say okay lord you can have sunday morning i'll give you that but that's the only room you can have the rest of the house, the rest of my life is mine. Uh, that you, Entertainment? No, that's off limits. Music? No, no, you're not allowed in that room, Lord. 
That's for me to choose. You don't get to go in there. Uh, what about my friends? That, that room? No, no, that's mine. Please stay out of there. No, no touch. How comfortable is, our, is the Lord living and dwelling within us? Have we given him complete access? Here Jesus is in the house. And he's in the house of your life as well. Do you recognize that? As we read through that poem, you're going, wow, that would probably change my life if Jesus uh, literally physically walked into my home. Well, spiritually, he's just as present in in all of our hearts and lives. So we see his, and we learn about his presence here and the fact that he was in the house. But then we also learn about his preaching. In verse number two, the Bible says, straightway, Many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And instead of doing a miracle and this big magic trick that would wow everybody, here's what he was doing instead. The Bible says he preached the word unto them. I'm sure that they were all there to, because uh, he had uh, created quite a name for himself after healing quite a few of the people there in, in chapter 1, and then, the, of course, the leper there who went around talking about uh, how he was a leper and, and he was uh, quite, quite advanced stages of leprosy, if you remember that. And how Jesus, in a matter of moments, uh, in a matter of a moment, healed him and his life was completely changed. Well, his publici- publicity uh, went through the roof and, and uh, people were gathered around and, uh, to see what he would do next. You know what he chose to do in that moment? He chose to preach the word. Now, Mark doesn't go into detail about exactly what the content of the sermon was, except for the fact that he does point out that he simply preached the word unto them. If you remember Jesus in the book of John, his name was also the word, wasn't it? John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus is considered the Word. So here we have the Word preaching the Word. I think it's kind of neat. The Word preaching the Word. By the way, that is a good thing to be doing. Preaching the word. Timothy uh, was a young man in the ministry and Paul was trying to encourage him and instruct him regarding the things of the ministry. And one thing he said to Timothy was uh, in in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2. He said, Timothy, uh, here's what I want you to focus on as a pastor in the ministry. I want you to preach the word. To do what Jesus did. To preach the word. Uh, Be instant in season. Out of season. In other words... Uh, Be faithful to preach the word when everybody likes to hear preaching of the word. And then to be faithful preaching the word when really no one likes to hear preaching of the word. Keep preaching the word, Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come. And ladies and gentlemen, the time has come here 
uh, when they will not endure sound doctrine. People don't want to hear truth anymore. They want to hear philosophy. They want to hear the woke agenda. And they want to hear the things of this world. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Please tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. Having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. It's one of those, la, 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 I'm not going to listen to you. I can't hear you. Is the way culture is going to be. And they shall be turned into fables, Paul said. Paul warned that that time was coming, and we are there. We are so there, ladies and gentlemen. We need to get back to preaching what people today uh, need in this culture, with all that's going on, is the preaching of the word. That's what this country needs. That's what this world needs. We need the word. We need this book right here. This is the truth that stands undaunted, that, never, that will never change. This is the truth. You watch the news media. It changes all the time. Haven't you seen that over the last uh, 14 months or so? Mass, no mass, vaccine, and all these things are changing and changing. The, the word of God never does change. It stands undaunted. What, 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 this, what we need in our culture today is not more dark buildings and colored lights and fog machines on the platform. We don't need more relevant music. We don't need to drop standards and convictions. We don't need to change Bible versions so it's easier to understand. No, what we need to do is get back to simply preaching the word of God. We need pastors to stop spewing their worldly philosophies and trying to wax eloquent with the woke crowd so as to not offend our culture, current culture. No, no, we need to get pastors to get back to simply saying, thus saith the Lord. And we need pastors to get back to preaching the word. I'm thankful that uh, this church has a heart for preaching the word of God and has had a heart for that for the last 74 plus years. In fact, so much so that uh, we have a, uh, a saying, a Bible verse written in our gym, nice and big. Uh, I believe we have a picture of it right now. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. So that looks kind of like out of date, a little old fashioned. Yeah, it may. But I like having that reminder that that's what this property is all about. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. We're not just trying to... Uh, do anything else but to do what Jesus was doing there in that, in that house. He preached the word unto them. Notice, by the way, that he preached the word unto them. In other words, there were people there to listen to the preaching. In fact, the Bible says in verse number 2, there were many that were gathered together. And so many that there was no room to receive anybody else. I mean, it was standing room only. There were no seats. It was a sold-out house. It was a full house. And so I want to take this opportunity to challenge and encourage and to provoke you to be faithful to the services so that you can hear the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I realize we're coming up on the time of year when people go on vacations and outings and the weather becomes nicer, not exactly this week, I get that. This week doesn't look like it's a great time to be going out and fishing and all kinds of things like that. 
But eventually it will get warmer and nicer. Please, friend, in the Bible we are instructed to assemble together and exhort one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Boy, as we look at the world and the landscape of what's going on in our country, it's absolutely evident that the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. That day is coming. And as we see the day approaching, that's not the time to back away from our faithfulness to the house of God. That's the opportunity and time to ramp it up and to become more and more faithful to the house of God and to hear the preaching of the word. And I want to encourage our church family to be here. By the way, the Sunday in the word of God is called the Lord's Day. It's not just called the Lord's Morning. We do have a service at 5 o'clock tonight. I really want to encourage you to be here. Not because I feel better when you're here, because there's a lot of people here to hear me. It's because I know it's healthy for us to be gathered together like this as believers. For you to be in a place like this to hear preaching. I'll just catch it online. I'll go do something else and catch it online later. Friend, if you've ever listened live and listened online, two totally different things. Now, I'm thankful for the technology. I've been kind of frustrated with technology the last several weeks with our live stream has been lousy, to say the least. Uh, we're trying to uh, make progress uh, for those who absolutely cannot be here due to health. But I'd never want the technology and these live streams to be an excuse for you to stay home when you should be here. Where we should be exhorting one another. Where we should be provoking one another to love and to good works. Where we can hear the preaching in a, in a live format, which is what God intended. And not digitally and virtually. No, no, live and in person. Um, I need it, and so do you. And so Jesus preached the word unto them. I hope that you'll be part of the them as the preaching goes forth here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, that you'll be faithful to be a part of it. Well, then as Jesus is preaching the word, everyone in the room begins to hear some noise from somewhere they weren't expecting to hear it. It was from the ceiling. The noises get a little louder and then dust and debris start to fall on people's heads. Uh, let, let's read what happens here in verse number three. It says, they come to him bringing one sick of the palsy. Uh, many people believe, many Bible scholars believe and commentators believe that this man was paralyzed. He could not walk on his own. Um, we have in our day and age uh, cerebral palsy, and I, cerebral palsy, there we go. That's probably a better way to say that. Um, and uh, was just unable to walk. And uh, he was born of four, in other words, four of his friends, uh, got him on a little stretcher, uh, one on each corner, and uh, they were bringing him to see Jesus. Well, verse 4 says, when they could not come nigh into him for the press, there were just too many people. They couldn't get all four guys through all this crowd, and, and including uh, the stretcher and, and the man on it. They decided, we're going to go up to the roof, and they uncovered the roof where he was. And, and back in those days, it wasn't like these steep roofs that we have here in Oklahoma. Uh, it was a flat roof that uh, people would go up to and uh, kind of have like a, a second story up there and in the evening probably uh, relax up there. Well, these men made their way up to that roof 
And it says, when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Um, several months ago, Julie and the kids wanted to surprise me when I was here at the church working uh, one day. And uh, they decided that they wanted to clean and organize the attic uh, that we have up in uh, up up above our second or the second story uh, goes into an attic that uh, goes over our kitchen. And uh, I had made a comment, I think maybe a few days before when I went up there to go do something. I'm like, man, this place needs some organization. Like this place is a mess, uh, and it's an attic. No one sees it, but. Uh, it just needed to be organized, and, uh, and I made a comment, and Julie heard that, and she's like, you know what? I'm going to be a virtuous woman, and I'm going to clean the attic, and I'm going to surprise him. He's going to love me for this, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Well, in the process of organizing and cleaning this attic, she stepped off of the plywood platform that we had there and stepped onto the drywall ceiling to our kitchen, now, if you're thinking the worst, it, the worst did not happen. Uh, that drywall had some oomph to it, <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. Uh, she, she did not fall through, but it did create a fairly noticeable crack in the ceiling. And uh, I actually have a picture that... Uh, so if you go to our home right now, uh, this is over our kitchen this is a special decoration that uh, Julie put there. She decorated, most people decorated the wall. She decorated the ceiling with this crack. Um, well, when I got home, and uh, some of you have been to our home and you've seen this, um, but when I got home that night, uh, there was just, everybody was acting very weird. <laughs> the kids were just kind of like, you know, they was just like wondering when I'm going to look up and see this crack and go, what happened? And so they're just all watching me. And then Julie's kind of got this really weird grin on her face like, hi, welcome home. <laughs> she never does that. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, what's going on? Everybody's acting super strange. And then finally, I think the kids started like looking up, looking up. And I'm like, what's, what's up? What's up? What's up? And then finally I saw it and I'm like, what happened there? And Julie explained it. Uh, she's like, well, I, we were cleaning. We got the attic all organized and clean, though, as if that was going to make everything all better. <laughs> um, and uh, honestly, I was really thankful that she was not injured, but I was not happy that she was up there doing that in where she could get injured. And uh, if you remember that, Mrs. Do you remember that? Yeah, I wasn't super happy with the fact that you were up there doing that and could have been really injured, and that's what I was uh, very concerned about. And so I don't know what she was doing there. I, I, I know Julie loves her Bible, and I think she was just trying to live out the Bible in her life and uh, live out Mark chapter 2 here when this was all happening. And uh, to, to give me an illustration one day when I would preach this passage, I think that's what it was. Um, well, these four men were, were very adamant about getting their friend to Jesus. And by the way, let me just make a comment here. Again, this, is, this whole message could be about this. But uh, I would just want to encourage all those who are young people and adults as well regarding the friends that we allow into our own lives. Are the friends in our lives like the friends that this man had? Uh, ones that were trying to get this man closer to Jesus? 
Were they friends that were trying to uh, take him away from Jesus? This man had the right type of friends, ones who were trying to get him closer to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to make sure that we have friends in our lives that are trying to get us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're trying to be a good influence on us to try to uh, draw us closer to him. And that's what they were trying to do, get him closer to Jesus, because they knew, of course, he could heal him. And so they were so determined uh, to get him to Jesus that they were uh, willing to go up to the roof and tear up that roof and lower him down. I mean, this was unorthodox, but they were uh, just adamant about doing this. Can you imagine, again, I believe it really was Peter's house. Can you imagine Peter's face as he starts to see his roof start to dissipate? Uh, Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected, Mr. Peter was. Uh, probably was all smiles when this was happening. Uh, I kind of highly doubt it, don't you? Um, this guy was probably a temper tantrum waiting to happen. And uh, the Bible doesn't record here because Peter was the one who, uh, remember, was talking to Mark. Um, many, many, many Bible scholars believe that Mark, the gospel of Mark, was really Peter's gospel. Um, Mark wasn't an eyewitness to the things of, of, uh, um, of the life of Christ. Peter was. And Peter talked with Mark and taught him and told him what to write. And Peter probably wanted to leave that part out. Don't tell him that I had an angry outburst and uh, I lost my cool and testimony there in front of Jesus and everybody else. Uh, he probably said, please leave that out, Mark. And Mark did. Uh, we don't know how Peter reacted, but I'm sure it was a... It was a sight to see. Well, let's keep reading verse number five. Verse, verse five says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus here in this verse number five says two of the most precious words known to man. The word son and the word Forgiven. Uh, son speaks of being in the family of God. And when Jesus says to this man's son, he's saying, you're now part of my family. I, I love 1 John 1, or 3 and verse 1 where it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. When you really stop and think about who we are in, as the Bible says, uh, what our condition is, we're all sinners, we're all wicked, and we're all uh, not worthy to be considered his son. We're like the prodigal son who said, I'm no worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. But God says, you're my son. And he says to this man, son, and then he says, my, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the word forgiveness speaks of not just our family, a relationship, but now our fellowship with God. Now, uh, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I have forgiven them. There is as far as the east is from the west, and uh, I have forgiven them. And so what a beautiful passage that is. But then finally, or number three here, we learn about his perception in verses six through eight. After he says that, verse number six but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Not words that they said, but thoughts that they were having within their mind and in their heart. 
Verse 7, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now they were correct. Only God could forgive sin. But they automatically assumed that Jesus was not God and assumed that, uh, that Jesus was blasphemy, uh, was speaking blasphemies. And I like verse number 8. The Bible says, and immediately. Here's Mark again with the words immediately and straightway. I mean, just everything happening quick. And immediately when Jesus perceived in their spirit, in his spirit, that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Notice he perceived what was in the hearts of the scribes. By the way, not the only time that Jesus in the Gospels is recorded that he knew it was in the hearts of people. In Luke chapter 6 and verse number 8, a different event altogether, the Bible says this, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he rose and stood forth. So Jesus knows the thoughts that we think. Whether they turn into action or whether they turn into words. God knows every thought that we have ever had. How would you like the ability to read minds? I don't know that I would like that ability, actually. I'm kind of better just knowing even what I know <laughs> and uh, my thoughts. I don't really want to know everybody else's thoughts. Um, I'm thankful I don't have that ability, but God definitely does. If you turn in your Bible, we'll be back in Mark 2 in a second. Uh, Psalm 139, Psalm 139. As you're turning over there, I was reading an article this week on Psychology Today. No, I don't subscribe to that website uh, or anything like that, but I was looking up some things, and, and uh, I came across an article on psychologytoday.com regarding the accuracy of polygraph machines. How many of you, I don't know if this is a good question to ask or not, how many of you have ever been polygraphed, maybe for a job or something? Okay, a few of you. I, I, I figured there'd be a few. Um, we'll, we'll all assume they're for uh, your occupation. We'll all assume that, okay? And uh, in this article, they, they ask the question, so does the polygraph actually work? Are the results accurate? And they said it does work much of the time. Typically, when someone is lying, a well-trained polygraph examiner can tell. It is not 100% accurate, though. The American Polygraph Association is the world's leading association dedicated to the use of evidence-based scientific methods for credibility assessment. It is an organization whose members are largely polygraph examiners. They estimate that the accuracy of the polygraph to be 87%. That is, in 87 out of 100 cases, the polygraph can accurately determine if someone is lying or telling the truth. Now, that sounds pretty impressive, but it is important to keep in mind that the polygraph is also failing 13% of the time. Uh, but I want to chime in here and add to the article and, and say this. The Lord is accurate 100% of the time with a 0% failure rate. Your Bible is open to Psalm 139. Let's look in verse number 1. The Bible says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. 
And then look at verse 2. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Lord knows when you got up from bed today and when you went to bed last night. He knows every, every time by, to the millisecond, to the exact moment when you uh, went to bed and uh, rose up every day of your life leading up to this point. That's an amazing amount of knowledge. He knows our downsitting. He knows our uprising. But then it says this in verse 2. Thou understandest my thought afar off. God knows every thought that you and I have ever had and ever will have. In greater detail than we can remember. Verse 3 says, Thou compass my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. The Lord know, knows where we go and, and when we've gone. And verse 4 tells us, There's not a word in my tongue, O Lord, but O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. He has a perfect memory of everything that we have ever said. Uh, my wife is pretty good at remembering words in conversation. And uh, whenever I have a conversation with people or someone, and she asks me about it, and she says, so how did it go? And I usually say, good. And I leave it there. Well, what did you say? And what did they say? And I'm like, uh-oh, we're getting into details that I don't remember. Uh, she is excellent at remembering exactly what she said and exactly how she said it, too. And then what they said back and exactly how they said it back. And I just say, it went well. <laughs> I can't even remember. what it, The Lord remembers everything that we've ever said, but he understands every thought that we've ever had as well. The writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 13, and you can turn over back over to Mark chapter 2. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Lord sees all. Yes, it may be hidden from, the, from, from our, our, our spouse, our parents, our, our, our siblings, our boss, uh, our pastor. It, it may be hidden from everyone else in this world. And, and we are just have this one little thought in our mind. God sees it as if it's out in the open. And he's thundering right now to let you know that this is true. He perceives all things and there's nothing we can hide from God. And so here as we look through this passage, we're, we're learning about the Lord Jesus Christ because after all, this what this whole series is all about. Learning who we're to be looking unto and, and we learn that he perceives all things. And these scribes, they were sitting there and they had this critical eye and these critical thoughts, and Jesus saw them as if it was out in the open. And then finally, we see number four, and we'll end with this one. We learn about his power. We learn about his power. Let's keep reading here in verse number nine. It says, Whether is it easier, Jesus said, to these scribes, these critical religious prof professionals? He said, Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. For that thou may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. First of all, we see in this passage that he has power 
first and foremost and most importantly, to forgive sin. By the way, this was the first thing that Jesus did for the man with the palsy. In verse number five, he didn't say, hey, be healed. He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Because really, more important than him being able to walk is having his sins forgiven so that he can spend eternity in a place called heaven. That's way more important than the ability to walk. Now, I'm sure that uh, his friends were going, well, wait a minute, we, we, brought, we brought him all the way down here, and all you're going to say is, sons, by, thy sins be forgiven thee? And they were thinking that that was kind of no big deal. My friend, that is the greatest deal ever. And in our lives, sometimes we get to the idea, Lord, uh, would you please fix this in my life? And not really thinking too much about the greatest problem that we have, and that is our sin. And we kind of look down at, ah, uh, you know, being forgiven, that's kind of nice and stuff. But if I just had more money and, and I had the provision to pay for this bill, or if I just was healed of this physical ailment, then, then my life will be happy. What he's trying to show us in this passage is the ability, the power that he had to forgive sin was the greatest power that he had. Far greater than the ability to do all these fancy, flashy miracles that would wow the crowd. And they were all there to see some, some special spectacle. And, and instead, Jesus says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. And that is the greatest spectacle of them all. It goes to show the main reason that Jesus came. He didn't come just to make a, us live our best life now. No, he came, more importantly, to give us eternal life and to save us from our sin. This wasn't the only miracle that Jesus did for the man, but it was indeed the most important miracle that he did for that man. Yes, he did end up healing him. And he was able to walk out of that room, and uh, everybody was like, when he walked out of that room. But the greatest miracle that took place when Jesus called him son. And when Jesus said, hey, your sins are forgiven. That was the greatest miracle that took place. Well, there was obviously some who thought, yeah, anyone can say thy sins be forgiven thee. Like anybody can say that. And that's why in verse number nine, I'm sorry, verse number, verse number number nine, he says this. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? He said, obviously it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee. But to show you in verse number 10 that, here it is, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, I'm going to heal the sickness, because he has power then to heal sickness as well. Not just to forgive sin, but also to heal sickness. But he does so to prove to everyone in the room that he does indeed have the ability and the power to forgive sin. The purpose of this power to heal sickness was to show everyone there that without a doubt he was and is God and that he has real power to forgive sin. Why does God choose to heal sickness in our day and age? Perhaps it's also for the same reason. So that others will know that he is real and that he exists and that he desires to save others, not just temporarily with their physical ailment, 
I mean, this guy, this guy who was healed of the palsy, uh, he ended up dying. He's not alive today, as far as physically speaking. But spiritually, he's alive. And that is the greatest miracle that took place. And these miracles were all the proof that he was and is able to forgive sin. Well, how does this story end? Let's read the rest of verse 12. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went forth before them all. Remember, it was all crowded. And so he, he gets up, he's, he's healed, and then all of a sudden he just starts walking and says, All right, he told me to go to my house, so I'm going to go to my house. And he starts walking and everybody's just standing there going, are you serious? Is this really happening right now? And uh, their jaws were probably wide open. And uh, he's, he's walking, and, and here's, what, here's what the people do. Insomuch that they were all amazed. They were floored that this happened, and they got to see it. And as a result, they glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. You say, what does that mean? Well, that's King James for, I'll put it in Oklahoma language for you. We ain't ne never seen it around here like that. Okay. I'm working on my accent. I know it needs a lot of work. I get it. I just need to have a little more sweet tea, and eventually I think that accent will come. But, but they said, man, this is amazing. We've never seen it like this ever. This is, wow. Now, in our quest to learn more about Jesus, the one we're to be looking at this year and throughout our lives, we've seen here in this, in this passage that he is present. He's present in my heart as a believer and yours as well if you're a Christian. And he's also present here among us as he promised that he would... Uh, he would be in the midst where two or three are, to get, are, are gathered together in his name. And, and that's why we're all here together. So he's here. We also see that he perceives everything that we are thinking right now. And he has power to not only heal sickness and perform miracles that fix the temporary. He has power to forgive sin and fix the permanent need in our life. The miracle that will last for all of eternity. So if you're here today seeking a miracle in your life like this man was, good news, God is still in the miracle-working business. But the very most important miracle that he performs is when he forgives sin. And so have you allowed to perform the most important miracle in your life? The Bible tells us that we must repent and believe on Christ, and then he promises to forgive us our sins and to give us everlasting life. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you thankful for that precious verse in the Bible? If you're here today and you've never believed on Christ, today's the day on this thunderstorm Sunday. Uh, would you come to Christ and be saved and allow God to do the greatest miracle of all to forgive your sin and to allow you to be part of his family? For those of us who have, let's remember that he's present with us 24-7. What a wonderful privilege it is to have the Lord Jesus residing in us. Let's allow him to feel comfortable living inside us. 
Give him access to our whole life. Uh, let's remember that uh, the preaching of the word of God is important. And to uh, often put ourselves under the preaching of God's word. To be faithful to the house of God so that we can hear the preaching of God's word. And pray for me as I preach that I would indeed preach the word and not my own philosophy and my own uh, ideas. But that I would stay faithful to preach and teach the word of the Lord. And then remember the fact that he does perceive all things. He knows all. And let's remember that as we allow thoughts to come into our minds and whether we dwell on those thoughts or not. Uh, let's pray together. We'll, be, uh, we'll wrap it up today. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for uh, this wonderful passage of Scripture, this wonderful event that, uh, that these gospel writers included in the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit wanted in there. And Lord, many, many things that we can learn about you, Lord, as we uh, look into this passage. Help us to, uh, to keep those in mind as we live our lives. And I pray most of all today, if there's one here today that has never been forgiven of their sin, Lord, I pray that today would be that day that they come to Christ and receive forgiveness. Lord, uh, it's not going to be found by living a good life or by being religious, or by being even a member of this church can only be found by coming and believing in Christ. And Lord, I pray that they would make that decision today and then help us, Lord, to apply the other truths uh, that we've talked about already. We pray these things in Christ's name. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask uh, Miss, Miss Pat and uh, Miss Robin to go ahead and play uh, through this first verse of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. We'll sing it in here in a moment. But as they do, um, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer right where you are and uh, make some decisions about something perhaps the Lord has spoken to you about in this message. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I hope you'll do that right now. Mm -hmm. 